you know, and trying to explain dance therapy. And it usually has this, this look or feel of adjunct or alternative, you know, just like dance would be, even though it's so beneficial, people often see it as a hobby, a side thing, an interest. And the way in that I remember explaining it was rather than terminating our clients when they can't speak anymore because the dementia is so advanced, that's when we need to rely on the arts. It's when we need to rely on the creative expressions. So... Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with change makers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is proven to help us age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. To find out more about the podcast, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind the scenes looks at our guests and other fun tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, a previous guest. Find out more at judybanker.com. Our technical director is Stephen Litweiler. Well, here's a question for you. How can we support our health and the health of a loved one, especially if that person has cognitive limitations like dementia? What are some of the options that we may not be as familiar with? Today, we're gonna talk about dance therapy and how it can increase quality of life and decrease depression and anxiety. Dance therapy can also have a positive effect on well-being, mood, and body image. Most of us are familiar with traditional talk therapy. A body-centered approach to psychotherapy, however, can also help validate and support an individual who is nonverbal due to sensory processing issues, dementia, or other difficulties with language. Our guest today is dance therapist Erica Hornthal. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to learn more about dance therapy because even though I'm a clinician, I can imagine some of the ways it can be helpful because there are limits, as you say, to talk therapy, but I know I have a lot more to learn. Um, Let me first uh, start off asking you about our mental health crisis in the U.S., and I know you're familiar with it. We have a very, very high uh, rate of addiction. Uh, We have a high suicide rate. People are coming to therapists, as I'm sure you know, in droves, and we're really uh, overloaded, I think, with the need, uh, especially um, regarding COVID and, and some of the world events. How does dance therapy help people who are suffering from things like depression and anxiety? So as you're speaking, I'm definitely heard the word overloaded. And I think that that is, 
a key word, if you will. We are so overwhelmed, bombarded, distracted, etc. these days. And at the heart of it, oftentimes it takes us the ability to be present to sensations and movements as small as they may be in our body to actually conquer or start to challenge and show up in that overwhelm. Our brains and our minds specifically, I think, look for ways, we know, look for ways to continue to be comfortable and so to challenge how we're feeling, to sit in our emotions, to really look at the pains physically and emotionally as they show up in our body is is not the easy thing to do, but I think it's it's the necessary thing to do at this point. It's not just because of trauma, although I think a lot of people would would agree that we're kind of in a collective trauma these days. Mm. But it's really looking at how we can tap into our inherent ability to communicate and how we can build a relationship with ourselves so that we can really show up for the people and the world around us. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of when somebody comes to you or comes to one of your classes, where does one start? Uh, what's the first thing that you try to teach people? So it's really just like any, I guess, I I say typical, though, what does that look like these days, right? Um, You know, kind of what you would assume when you go to a psychologist or psychiatrist or um, social worker, counselor, depending on where the person is and how they're feeling in that day, we can sit and and verbally check in and get an idea of how we're feeling, what's going on, if it's the first session, you know, why the person is coming to therapy. And for others, they're there because language is not their first means of communication. Uh, They don't have the words to express themselves. They're not great with words. Or like you mentioned in the introduction, they have some type of cognitive or developmental difference that prevents them from using verbal language to communicate what what they're feeling and what's going on. So in that case, we might just start in the body. We might just start moving. Um, You know, I'm, I'm always open to bringing in some, some music or relaxing music so that there's this undertone um, in the room. Sometimes silence is scary, but it's really just like any therapist I think would, would, approach a situation. It's really about meeting ourselves where we are. And so if we're not able to do that verbally, we need to do that physically um, or again through movement. And it really depends. It's going to look very different on the situation and the person, obviously, but sometimes it can just be an awareness. What I like to do first and foremost for clients is to just draw attention to sensations that they're feeling in that moment. Um, If it's the first time we're meeting and we've gotten to know each other just a little bit, I like to guide clients through an assessment, if you will, that allows them to understand how they exist in their bodies. And so that might be looking at how they connect to time, how fast they move, how slow they move, connecting to space, how much space they take up in the room, how much space they take up in their bodies. Um, or how little space they take up. It can be pressure or weight, how much weight we feel in our body. And that's not like a biological or physiological weight, Mm. but the pressure that shows Mm. up in our body, the tension. 
And so it's it's just little pieces of awareness, little tidbits, and, and really using movement as a metaphor to start to uncover how the way we exist in our body has everything to do with the way that we exist and function in the world. Mm-hmm. One of the common complaints, and I'm sure you uh, are familiar with this, but with my clients is that they feel tremendous tension and tightness in their chest and shoulders. I hear that a lot. Um, What would you do with that? So that is, I don't know about number one. It's definitely (laughs) top five, right? I mean, I can definitely resonate with that myself Mm -hmm. because that's, that's where I hold my tension. It really starts. I think if I'm really aware of it, it starts right between the shoulder blades But if I'm not super tuned into that, what I do begin to notice is a very light, lower headache, kind of like at the Mm. base of the skull, back of the neck. And that's usually because I have not paid attention up to that point on the pressure that I'm placing on my upper back or the posture that I'm taking on probably while I'm on telehealth or sitting at my desk. So, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than go right for the stressors, you know, what causes stress and why are you feeling stressed? Again, really focusing on those physio, the, the physical manifestations. What does it look like? How does it feel? Um, sometimes I'll ask my clients if that part of your body could talk, what might it Mm -hmm. say? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so again, things that aren't necessarily proprietary, a lot of, uh, psychotherapists are starting to use these, these techniques or have been using these techniques, techniques for a while. But the, the difference often is the ability for myself or other dance therapists to meet the client in their body with them to kind of parallel what they're seeing or witnessing to help them experience that, to move them through those stuck places um, and so if the tension is really strong and, and like a frozen sensation, we can look for ways to kind of thaw that part of the body out. If it's feeling, again, that idea of weight or pressure, what would it look like to bring in elements of lightness or, um, you know, expansion? So there isn't necessarily one way that it looks, but focusing on those body pieces, those body-centered felt sensations in the body um, is enough to get someone out of their head, which is often what's Mm -hmm. perpetuating those stuck places of tension. Do they co-create these dances with you? Um, I mean, it's not a dance per se. You know, we say dance is life. So the dance of life, you know, the dance of turmoil, anger, frustration, communication, any movement that is happening is coming from the client and that can be gestural, postural. It might be a slight change in affect on their face, you know, how their, how their face is expressing what they're feeling or masking what they're feeling. If there is any actual, um, I guess choreography, which doesn't happen very often, but if there is some type of sequence that's happening, um, it's very much on the client and I'm just taking their lead. So it might be something that we try together. It might be something that I just, I just sit back and witness and allow them to ask, what, what was that like? What did you notice? How did that feel? Um, you know, as an example, if someone's feeling stuck and we use this movement, um, you know, kind of like, let's see, give an example, um, wheels turning, you know, kind Mm. of your, your hands circling each other. 
you know, giving the client an opportunity to break the cycle. What does it look like to break the cycle? Is it myself that needs to interject, you know, with their permission to break that cycle? Is it, you know, permission to move outside of that cycle? So again, it's really more using movement as the metaphor to connect to what the mind is perceiving and what the body is feeling. Um, and mm-hmm. I can join in on that if it feels appropriate, but oftentimes for clients, it's just something they need to experience and just have witnessed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if there's some self-consciousness on the part of your clients who come in and they know that you do movement, um, but you know, is there, do you have to kind of work through some self-consciousness in the beginning for them to feel free enough to try some of these techniques? I feel like for the clients that come, there may be a hesitation because it, it feels unknown and unusual. But if there's any self-consciousness, it's really a sign of a bigger, of a, of a bigger issue, right? It's not just It's not the dance piece that an individual is necessarily concerned about because there's, there's no judgment. It's not a set skill or, you know, as I mentioned, not choreography per se. So I think once people come in and realize that it's, it's not a class, it's not something that they need to learn, but it's, it's it's something that's already innate in them, that they are the master of this so-called dance and movement. And I, I always say, I don't know what it's like to be in your body. Um, any more than I know what it's like to be in my own. And so to just be able to create a space where they can explore that for themselves, I think that takes away a lot of whatever self-consciousness comes in that's related specifically to the movement. Um, because again, we're always moving. And so once the person starts to uncover that and realize, oh, I'm, I'm already always moving and I have mm-hmm. this movement vocabulary, I have this kind of fingerprint, if you will, of my movement signature, how I, how I walked into the room, how I brush my teeth, how I drive, how I get dressed. It really destigmatizes that. It really takes away that it has to look like anything, which is what we're very familiar with in the world of dance, you know, the art form of dance specifically. So again, I, I think the self-consciousness that comes up is judgment period. And that that's often related to why the person may be in therapy to begin with. Mm-hmm. So would somebody work with a talk therapist in addition to seeing you with movement or is that something that you do together as a combination? Yeah, dance therapists are trained in both. So, you know, at the heart of it, dance movement therapy is a psychotherapy that uses movement to observe and assess and intervene in the therapeutic relationship. It integrates mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. So... Most dance therapists have the background or training, um, you know, in counseling or, or psychology or social work. So it's not necessary, but um, I think it depends on the circumstance of, of the client themselves. So in my particular instance, I've worked with individuals who may come in with a concern or maybe an already, or they already have a diagnosis and maybe it's not a diagnosis or a set of symptoms that I feel like I have mastery. Well, that's not even the right word that I have expertise over. So, um, I might say, you know, I'm happy to work with you in this way. I'm happy to support you. 
what does your team look like? Do you have a psychiatrist that you're currently working with? Do you also have a psychologist? Or they might have a talk therapist that they've been working with mm-hmm. that they feel like they're, they have a really wonderful partnership with. And I'm not coming in to, to dismantle that. I think the more support we have, the better. And if we can find a way to provide or, or, um, create more awareness around movement. Sometimes it's a way that a client can process deeper what is happening in talk therapy. Um, but I've certainly, you know, bulk of my clients, the only psychotherapy that they do is, is with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and there has been a lot of reporting of feeling like it gets to the root of the problem or the concern faster because the mind is often kind of talking around things or, Verbally, we may avoid things. And when the body speaks, it goes right to the truth. Mm-hmm. It, it really can't hide anything. <laughs> right, so. right. I, I, I can totally understand that, that yeah. our, bo- our, our mind, um, you know, it has its flaws and its patterns and its way of convincing us otherwise, but the yeah. body really does tell the truth, speak the truth. Yeah. And with regard to, you know, dementia, or, you know, you had mentioned earlier kind of cognitive uh, differences or deficits, I think it's really where we need to go because when those higher, you know, top down structures are breaking down, we really need to be able to go back into those bottom up structures, the things that, you know, developed in the womb, the things that we were born with, um, and, and go back to those very basic means of expression. But when we've lived a life, you know, 60, 70 plus years verbally expressing ourselves, it feels like a loss. We kind of have to grieve that we can't speak our needs, that we have to go back and rely on what has been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your work with, let's say, for example, dementia uh, patients. So what does that look like? So that's really the population, I guess, um, group of people, set of symptoms, if you will, um, that I connected with immediately. It's where I, I did my internships. It's where I worked the first five or six years of my career. And I think for me, on a personal level, it felt it felt very inviting because, one, I didn't have to come up with a million things and think really, really quickly if certain interventions didn't work. Um, it was so different for me than working with children, let's say, where it was like jumping from one thing to the next and always having a big tool of, of uh, tricks and tips in, in my back pocket. You know, when I worked with older adults, I felt all the wisdom that was already there and almost felt like I could take my time really figuring out almost like a detective you know, looking for the signs and and the clues and then piecing together what was going to be the way to to get some of the information out or or to, to find that person, you know, to get to the source of their joy, their discomfort, their pain, their anguish, their their excitement, everything. Um, and so it looked a little different at first. I was mostly working with groups and because there was not just a hesitancy, but also we're, we're working with um, counter to what culture says. We're not necessarily um, 
encouraged to meet people in their bodies, especially as we get older. You know, mm. we're, we're taught that our bodies break down, that, um, you know, uh, once we get to a certain age, it's all, quote, downhill from there. Mm-hmm. And so meeting a bunch of people in their 90s, and I have had many clients in their hundreds, mm-hmm. you know, in a culture that says we're not really supposed to move. Um, I don't move anymore. I can't dance. I can't move. That's the hard, the hard hurdle. So I think for me, putting on music is the way through because there's natural rhythm that comes out. And then I could easily tap into what I was seeing around the room. You know, people moving their hands, clapping their, their, you know, clapping their hands together, moving their fingers, tapping their toes. Um, and ultimately we start kind of a body warm up you know, just calling out what I see, noticing the movement around the room. And we get what um, in dance therapy circles is called rhythmic group activity. So similar rhythms, similar movements are happening around the room. And it creates this camaraderie. It creates this inclusive, universal um, like a bond. energy. Yeah, absolutely. And what I found over time is that as we move, it really unlocks cognitive potential. So people that were, you know, maybe not completely nonverbal, but weren't known to speak very much or had difficulty expressing themselves or were very focused on going home, um, asking questions, very anxious, it, it dissipated because we were just meeting our bodies in the moment. We were tapping into those soothing rhythms making connections around the room, and then people felt free and calm enough to actually say things, to comment and, and you know, notice or, or have a memory. We're even able to create new memories, even if they're in the moment, but we're creating these sensory memories. And so we may not remember each other's names, but we come back and we have this, this familiar feeling. Um, and then finding themes from there, you know, maybe a movement happens and someone says, oh, that looks like you're waving hello. Oh, that looks like we're sailing on a ship. And again, tapping into those metaphors so we can start to have conversations around, oh, what is it like to go on a trip? When was the last time you went on one? Sometimes it's a happy thing. Sometimes it's sad. So all of these emotions come up and we're able to process them together. And then um, using movement to, to as, as we warm up, we cool down you know, and then finding a way to bring cohesiveness and closure to the group. It's almost reminds me of having a special kind of key Mm. that unlocks this potential. Yeah, I always say movement is the key that unlocks potential. I mean, obviously, there's (laughs) obviously that's funny. Obviously, there are other things like I mentioned music. I'm a Mm -hmm. big fan of music, music therapy, art therapy. Um, I'm a little biased because I always say, you know, it you have to move to make music. <laughs> so like <laughs> at the heart of it, movement is always present. Movement is always present. It doesn't have to be dance, but movement is really what allows us to, to create, to express, to imagine. So it's the um, way in. I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've seen it, you know, I've witnessed it. I remember when I was start, first starting off in my career, meeting with uh, various program directors and, and clinical site directors, you know, and trying to explain dance therapy. And it usually has this, this look or feel of adjunct or alternative, you know, just like dance would be. Even though it's so beneficial, people often see it as a hobby, a side thing, an interest. And the way in that I remember explaining it was, 
rather than terminating our clients when they can't speak anymore because the dementia is so advanced, that's when we need to rely on the arts. It's when we need to rely on the creative expressions. So, you know, music and movement and Mm -hmm. any way that we can help create and express and externalize our emotions is so important because I like to say just because we have nothing, just because we have nothing or can't speak, we have nothing to say, you know, don't have the ability to speak doesn't mean that we have nothing to say. Mm -hmm. We just have to, like you said, use that key Mm -hmm. to tap into the, the locked emotions, right? How do we get to those emotions? If someone can't tell me, I don't feel this or I feel that. Have you really witnessed people sort of, um, blossoming through this process, Erica, that uh, you have, um, clients who come and were not able to express and through this process have, it sounds like pretty transformative. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've experienced it myself. I see my own therapist. I, she happens to also be a dance therapist. And I think it's always, it never ends. There's always something more to learn. There's always something more to uncover. If I feel like I have nothing to say in that moment, then we just go into the body and just notice like, well, what's your body saying? (laughs) What Mm -hmm. is it feeling right now? And there's always something more to explore. So I notice it in myself, but I see it with clients too. And I feel like it's not always the transformation, right? Or just, you know, we talk about growth and, and, um, our healing journeys, but it's, it's oftentimes seeing who that person is for the first time and them seeing themselves for who they really are for the first time. Our egos are out of the way or we, or we try to, we try to keep it at bay where we really tap into this authentic person, this authentic Mm -hmm. spirit and the core. Exactly. And sometimes our bodies mask that, you know, our bodies, like we said, our body speaks the truth, but if our minds and our bodies have conditioned us to exist a certain way in the world, then our body is going to show up that way. So if I take on a very closed posture, but who I am deep inside is a very open, loving, warm person, movement therapy is a way to finally uncover that, is a, is a way to, to transform so that we can really finally be who we want to be, who we're meant to be, and create that catalyst, you know, that transformation. So absolutely, I've seen incredible transformations. And sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it takes many years. But I think my favorite is when people come in and don't even realize how much they've changed. It's just their Mm -hmm. new way of being, Mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of saying like, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, you said this, or, you know, I remember seeing that, you know, and the look on their face, like, wow, that feels like a different life. You know, it feels like looking into, looking into the past. Like that's not really who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to, to notice how the body changes in relation to that. I see. For, for our, our listeners who are intrigued by this, um, what would the first steps be if if one was interested and curious about movement therapy, uh, short of, you know, contacting you, going on your website and all that? Like, mm-hmm. what are the kinds of things you might suggest for someone who's just becoming curious about how their body may have something to say? 
So I, I look for a couple of things, or I, I invite people to look for a couple of things. One, it can be, again, that idea of it's really hard for me to talk about my feelings, but I'm, but I'm feeling a lot. And just because I can't express how I feel doesn't mean that I don't have anything important to say. So if you have a difficult time with, with words, and again, could be cognitively or just because you're not, you're not that expressive in that way, we all express ourselves differently, then, you know, movement therapy might be something that would um, be worth looking into. I think also, again, if there are cognitive deficits or cognitive differences, movement differences, that's a wonderful way to help support mental health. Um, and, you know, for individuals who are experiencing a lot of physical symptoms, but they're not medically explained. Mm. So, you know, it's one thing if we have arthritis, it's one thing if we have, you know, degenerating discs or, um, are recovering from, you know, let's say hip or knee surgeries. Those are real physical manifestations, real, real problems. But if you feel like I have this pain and there's no physiological reason for it. You know, I've had the MRIs, I've had the scans mm-hmm. and I'm also feeling the weight of that overwhelm, you know, where I have, um, years of, you know, mental health concerns or grief and loss that I haven't addressed again, some type of trauma. I think that's when something like movement therapy or what might be more people are are familiar with these days is like a somatic therapy. Mm -hmm. I think that's when it's most beneficial and that's something people should begin to explore because those pains and aches and sensations are the body's way of telling you that something is misaligned. It's Mm -hmm. trying to get your attention and oftentimes no, no amount of, of speaking will uncover that. You really need to go into the source in a safe, supported, trauma-informed way. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Where can people find out more about your work? They can visit my personal website, which is ericahornthal.com. My practice is Chicago Dance Therapy. So there's a website for that as well, which is chicagodancetherapy.com. Um, but there's a book plethora of resources on both websites. My information is listed if people want to contact me directly. And um, yeah, that's usually a good place to start. Gives you a little bit of information. Um, There's some videos and um, articles that people can start to read. And, um, you know, if things resonate for them, then they can always go from there. And you do some telehealth work. Is that correct? Yes, you know, through COVID, um, mm-hmm. still very much doing telehealth. I um, I am not one of those therapists that will be continuing it if I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> not your favorite, huh? Not my favorite. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that even movement therapy is still accessible through telehealth because, mm-hmm. again, it's really about resourcing your own body, not necessarily watching or, or um, following anyone else's. So yes, telehealth is still is still happening. It's a great alternative if you know someone can't make it in person. Um, but I also have a, an in person practice when possible. So mm-hmm. understood. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us today, Erica, about uh, movement therapy and dance therapy. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.